0: Today on Stick to Football,
1: it's Tuesday. That means $100 handshakes. That means top five Tuesdays. And also, uh, the return of some draft on draft. We've missed it. We know you've missed it. I have Mello. I have Connor. And boys, we have another job opening in the NFL. Late Sunday night, Dan Quinn and our friend Thomas Dimitrov fired by the Atlanta Falcons. Raheem Morris named the interim head coach. So, already in the NFL, we have the Texans. With a head coach and general manager opening, and now the Falcons with a head coach and general manager opening. Two teams with like not bad rosters. The Falcons have Cap Hill, but both of these teams have a quarterback, Mellow, and that's usually what we see. Is like ah, you got to start over, you got to rebuild. These teams have quarterbacks.
0: Yeah, I think they have you know some talent on the offensive side of the ball too. Like in, even in Houston, you have your left tackle, you have your quarterback, you've got some pass rushers. There's a lot to be excited about if you're Houston, and hopefully that can bring in a good coaching candidate, much like I think we're going to see in Atlanta. I think that that is probably now the most exciting coaching vacancy because you do have Matt Ryan, and you you don't have to rebuild right now. If you can bring in a GM and ownership's on board, you can still make a push for a Super Bowl. You don't see that very often with job openings. Usually when the coach gets fired, it's complete rebuilt especially when the GM goes with him but I think that Atlanta roster is still something to be very excited about and and maybe not something you want to blow up just yet
2: I think so too on the offensive side of the ball you obviously have Matt Ryan who he might be getting up there but he's still a high-level quarterback they have a lot of talent at wide receiver they've added talent across this entire offense over the years Where it's really one of those things, it's gonna be interesting, right? Like I like that they moved on from the coach and GM together as much as we're big fans of Dimitrov It was it was great when he was on this show. I mean, the guy had a 12 year run in one place as the GM. Not a lot of people can say that. It's just it it was time to do this together, right? Now you go in, you're gonna hire a head coach and GM tandem. And they could do things how they want. Now, there's a lot of options with this team, right? We don't know how bad they're going to finish. I know right now you could sit there and go, well, they're picking top three. They're going to get their quarterback of the future. I still don't think this team is bad enough where they'll be picking top three. Uh, I think they'll pull out a couple wins here. Maybe they do pick like two or three. But to think they will get Trevor Lawrence, that would still surprise me. Where maybe you go into this offseason and you say, hey, we're going to retool this defense. You know, maybe we're going to add a piece to this offensive line. But we're going to give this thing another run with Matt Ryan, Julio Jones. You know, you have a really good youngster and Calvin Ridley. So I'm fascinated to watch where this goes. But I think the overall theme here is guys, they're going to have hiring power, which is something that not a lot of teams can say. You know, we're going to talk about the Jets uh, looking for a coach and GM. I, we don't feel great about their hiring power at the moment. Even the Texans, that roster and the lack of draft capital will hurt them in their chances of who they hire. But you can't say that about the Falcons. They can go dream big. Maybe they interview an Ed Dodds for GM. Uh, maybe they go after a, a Brian Dable or somebody like that at head coach. Uh, I'm excited to watch how this one plays out.
1: Yeah, same. And Rich McKay uh, is running the team. He has been an NFL general manager before. He's very, very well connected. So, like, if you we will do this, you know, when all the jobs are open, but, like when you power rank the jobs that are going to be open. I can't imagine anyone being more attractive than the Falcons because like yes the salary cap is a mess. You can fix that. Like I mean, uh a good example, uh John Dorsey killed the chief salary cap. And now like they're giving everyone, you know, tons and tons of money. So you can clean up the cap. That is a concern with the Falcons, but there is talent here. Like this team is not that far removed from being up in a Super Bowl. They're not that far removed from being a dominant team in the NFC, so I think the Falcons are going to have a lot of a lot of options, whether that's Eric Bieniemy or Brian Dable, or is, you know, I think it'll probably be an offensive coach, just because they they you know Dan Quinn was a defensive coach. Those things seem to be pretty cyclical, so we'll see. Uh, the the you know the rumor mill this year is is going to start early with coaching hires and and interviews. Something I wrote about last week, like no, you can't hire a coach right now. But you can sure as shit, like, prioritize. You can be, where like, hey, we want to be Eric Bietam's first interview. When the season's over and you're probably, like, talking to his agent, doing some back, back room type stuff, you want to make sure we're the first interview. It's something that happened with Kyle Shanahan. When the, when the 49ers won Kyle Shanahan, you know, he couldn't take that job until after the Super Bowl. But it was like they had locked that up really early that that, that was going to happen. So you can do that as well. It's maybe not the most, like, you know, up and up thing that that happens in the NFL, but you can definitely get that lined up. Uh, Let's talk some players though, guys. Uh, Chase Claypool went off and this is so fun because I I mean, I can remember being in the booth together at the senior bowl and watching him move and stuff and just be like, man, he he looks better than he did on tape. And then you see what he does at the combine and you're like, oh my God, he like, this is rare. You know, this is, he almost looks like Calvin Johnson out there moving. And it's now translating to the field. Four touchdowns yesterday. And the Steelers, like they are good at evaluating receivers. They're good at developing wide receivers. And Big Ben is apparently really, really good at building that chemistry with his receivers because Chase Claypool has become the guy there. Even with Juju Smith-Schuster, even with Deontay Johnson, Juju's a free agent after this year, guys. Uh, I think by the end of the year, we'll see Chase Claypool be wide receiver one there. If he's not already, three receiving touchdowns yesterday, one rushing, and he was unstoppable. Not that the Philly defense is good.
0: It's not. But he was unstoppable. And that's one thing that I'm kind of curious about, too. When you look at that receiver room, obviously, Claypool is a good emerging receiver, had a great game yesterday. But like with James Washington there, with Deontay Johnson there, I wonder if they do bring Juju back. Not that he's a bad receiver. I think he's still a great receiver, probably still receiver one right now. But I wonder if you have to pay him or if you can say we're going to use some of this money and we're going to make sure our left tackle stays around or we're going to replace an edge rusher or whatever they have. I think their corners are up. There's some holes that are going to come open receivers, not one of them. So I do wonder if we see Juju hang around, if that's something that both sides want, I think that, you know, as far as Smith Schuster goes, He's talked about Big Ben being his guy, maybe bringing in Sam Darnold to go with him. But they definitely have a plethora of receivers in that room where they don't have to spend money at that position. And for Chase Claypool, especially, I love this kid. The first thing that caught my eye about him when we got to the Senior Bowl is uh, Big Country. And I walked down to the field and he was blocking It, it. Big Country even asked me, he said, oh, is that the big tight end from Notre Dame that everyone's talking about? I said, no, that's the receiver from Notre Dame who's blocking. He was like, Jesus Christ, that guy's big. Yes, he is, and he can block. He can do a little bit of everything. We thought he might even play some tight end. I I think that he's just an ultimate weapon for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and hopefully he continues to see more and more
2: production. He really is. He's massive. I mean, you talk about those senior bowl drills, Melo. That's one of the only times that I, I was standing right near the pylon, and they were just throwing fades. And it's one of those times where you you keep your eyes open to move back because if that guy runs into you, I mean you're you're going down and you're going down with, with an injury. I mean, he he's just huge. A true 6'5, uh, muscled up frame. He's bigger than every DB. He runs well for his size, he tracks the ball, he's got good hands. I mean, it's and for the Steelers, how many times have we seen this before? It goes back to your Juju conversation. You know, sure, it's I'm not saying Juju's out the door. But the Steelers are not afraid to let wide right. receivers walk or move wide receivers. They always know uh, when they feel it's time. Now, you know, are you going to bet the house on Claypool and Deontay Johnson next year? And maybe you you add somebody if you did let Juju walk, right? This is another really good wide receiver draft. You could draft another guy. But I think when you look at it right now, if Claypool is going to be this much of a dominant player, It's at least going to be a conversation because the Steelers are a team that will pay their offensive linemen. They'll pay a very, very talented defense. I mean, they got they got playmakers on all three levels of this defense. You know, we saw them go out and give Cam Hayward a big a much earned contract extension before the season. So it's fascinating. It wouldn't shock me if they're just not looking to pay him and maybe there is even a trade uh, that they can work out, maybe a tag-and-trade scenario. But for the Steelers, this is not a a conversation that you should be upset about if you're a fan. It's one you should be happy about because, I mean, I I was a big fan of that pick, but when I look at it, I didn't think the instant impact would play out like this. I I thought maybe second half of the season, maybe somebody gets hurt, but he's come in, and when he's gotten opportunities, he's produced. No, he
1: absolutely has, and it's it's fun to see that connection to see where it's growing. And the Steelers, I mean, they're rolling. It's weird because this season has been so bizarre that it's almost like at times we forget to talk about which teams are just, like, really good. And Seattle's 5-0. You know, Pittsburgh is is just no one can stop them right now. You know, the, the the 4-0 start. Defense looks really, really good. And it's like so much of the AFC, it's about Baltimore and Kansas City. And it's like, wait a second, like, Pittsburgh's actually winning the AFC North right now. Like They are leading
0: a really good division. Yeah, and even like you talk about the dominating teams. I caught on Sunday night that the Seahawks are 5-0 and for like the first time in, I think, franchise history. Like, are you kidding me? This is the first time Russ has done that, but it's going to be a scary start. And then you you look at the AFC North, even like you said, the Browns are for real guys like i don't know that's yeah. not in our rundown maybe it should it, be because they're it. sitting there at four and one they play the steelers next week that's going to be one hell of a football game i had that it's coming in the show promise
1: uh yeah they're they're good they're for real and then the ravens like oh yeah only in the ravens you know who are also like four and one or whatever how about some unfortunate news before we get to hundred dollar handshakes sunday night football or excuse me late afternoon sunday football it felt like sunday night Dak Prescott uh, running and a terrible, like, uh, ankle injury. I was actually, I had my back to the TV when it happened. I was helping my son do something, and I heard Tony Romo be like, oh, no, like, oh, God, like, this is bad. And I'm like, what? Did the channel change? Like, what? what is happening back there? Uh-huh. So I turn around, and in time to see the replay, and it's just, it's heartbreaking, you know, and it's one of those, like, Uh, Willis McGahee or Jalen Smith where you're, you know, Alex Smith. It's like it's just going to be like burned into your memory forever. You know, that injury, unfortunately. So number one, uh, Dak had surgery last night. Uh, I know we all are huge fans of his. Hopefully he is back sooner than later. Hopefully this is something that he can overcome. Uh, It's just it's so terrible that this happens to a guy who's playing on a franchise contract and yes, he's making a lot of money this year, but thirty-one million is a lot less than five hundred million or four hundred million or even like the one hundred and fifty or whatever that Deshaun Watson got. Right. So it's unfortunate on a lot of lot of fronts. The Cowboys have Andy Dalton. They did win yesterday, uh, but gosh, it's just, it just sucks for Dak, who's one of the really good guys in football.
0: It, it really does. And we've been looking and you know, we've been talking about this Dak Prescott situation all summer long. And when are the Cowboys going to pay him? Why haven't they paid him? I, I think this injury is going to make it difficult for both sides. And, you know, looking at it for like Andy Dalton, I, I bet he just comes out and balls out. And we probably see him like as a starter again in the NFL next year. Like throwing to these receivers, having Zeke Elliott at running back, I I think that he can do enough probably to get the Cowboys a couple more wins, probably still win the NFC East, and then maybe go to a different team and be a starter next year.
2: I just this almost made me angry, right? When you're watching it, you're just like, man, you know, for all the people that were upset that a deal didn't get done, um, if there were people upset towards the Dak side. It's just one of those things where you're like, man, like you, you applaud Dak at the time for betting on himself. And and I'm not, no one can sit here today and be like, oh, he made the wrong decision, right? Because he got hurt. Because if you know anything about Dak Prescott and and the crazy life he's had, he's going to bounce back from this and and be himself again. It's just going to take a while. It's just one of those frustrating things where you're like, man, you know, the guy deserved to get paid. The guy does everything the right way. There's an underdog story in all of this with him, and it's just very frustrating. I know it's part of football, but it's one of those things that leaves such a bad taste in your mouth, and you could see it on the field, like Jason Garrett in Giants gear running over to check on his former quarterback. You know what I mean? You could see every single guy going up to Dak before the cart pulls away, and how much respect he has gained for, you know, one of the most prominent franchises in the NFL. So, I mean, when you talk about the next steps in all this, it is fascinating, right? Like, what is, what happens in all of this? Is there, now, Dak isn't a guy that has, you know, uh, ill will towards anyone. You get those vibes where he'll be like, oh, now I'm going to leave. But it makes you wonder how much more complicated did this make things uh The chances of them finding middle ground on a deal now seem impossible in my eyes unless the Cowboys side really, really is comfortable and and starts to pony up, which they haven't shown to fully do yet. I think you just look at this and it's like you assume that Dak will probably play on another tag next year. Hopefully he comes back healthy. I saw Bryce Hall tweet out that it was the same injury he had and he's still working his way back on the field. And I think that was at least a year ago now when he suffered that injury at Virginia. And now he's with the Jets. So it's it's a significant injury and and hoping the best for Dak and know he's going to come back just fine from this. But it's going to take a while.
1: Yeah, it is, man. It's it sucks to see like you never like injuries suck. It's the worst part of football. Uh, and hopefully he gets back on the field quickly. All right, let's do some $100 handshakes, guys. Uh, I got to give Najee Harris a gigantic one in a game that became a shootout against Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss. Alabama wins 63-48, but it's because Najee Harris scored five touchdowns. 23 rushes, 206 yards, five touchdowns. He gets a $100 handshake and an ice bath because, my God, uh, does Nick Saban love to run his power backs, and Najee Harris is another one.
0: And, and I was re-watching this game last night, too, and I, my $100 handshake's going to it as well. Najee Harris could have had like seven or eight touchdowns. Uh, they gave one goal line carry to Brian Robinson, yep. and it went there. Najee had another goal line stance where he had a, a fumble on the goal line. Like, he easily could have had seven or eight touchdowns in this game. And the crazy thing is that Alabama needed every single one of those touchdowns. To fight against Ole Miss, uh, my $100 handshake is going to Ole Miss quarterback Matt Corral. Uh, a young kid, a sophomore, might be a red shirt guy, but this is a guy to watch. Uh, this is like the Mississippi Manziel. When you watch him play, number two, running around out there, little guy, crazy strong arm, uh, but he threw for 365 yards and two touchdowns against Alabama. Now, this is one hell of a defense, and he was able to still carve him up finding different targets, hit the tight end for 181 yards. Elijah Moore had a great day as well, but uh, he gets my $100 handshake. It's not easy to play in Tuscaloosa and put up numbers like that, and he did it as a sophomore.
2: I love that pick, Mello. Corral has quietly had such an awesome year as a redshirt sophomore, nonetheless, and doing it with his legs, doing it with a really strong arm. Uh, I think he's somebody we're going to be talking about a a lot going into next year in the SEC and and as one of these up-and-coming quarterbacks, star quarterbacks. All right, guys. Sorry, I hate to do this to you, but the first one for me is Creed Humphrey from Oklahoma. Um, You know, you look at what this guy has done for a couple years now for that program, specifically in the ground game on the interior of the offensive line. Just a super impressive player, uh, really strong drive blocker, and, and you don't get to say this every year, but... Right now, he looks like a first-round center or at least a top 50 kind of pick. I mean, all the tape is there. Even if he didn't play this year, it was almost a surprise that he went back to school. But the big uglies don't get a lot of $100 bills, so Creed Humphrey stepped right up.
1: No, He deserves it. He had a hell of a game. Uh, not even upset about it. Just, he
0: was good. Creed <laughs> Humphreys looks like the nicest guy in the world. Like, I don't also know if you've that. ever seen him, like, jogging off to the sideline or Google him without his helmet he's on. He's jolly. <laughs> it's, yeah, he just looks like he would be the nicest guy in the world that would never do anything disrespectful. And then, like, he just mauls people on the field.
1: Yeah, no, he's he's good. And I'm actually going to uh, take a shot at my own team as well because they deserve it. Uh, I'm going to go Isaiah Thomas, defensive lineman from Oklahoma. This dude was Everywhere, number 95, if you go back and watch the game film on the Red River Shootout, Isaiah Thomas probably deserved the game ball. Like I know everybody's going to, you know, oh, Spencer Rattler. Spencer Rattler got benched, kind of played like shit. Isaiah Thomas, though, absolutely amazing. Like, I cannot wait to go back and watch the Iowa State game now because this was not like an opportunity where I had not, he hadn't popped for me yet. You know, I hadn't watched a lot of Oklahoma games. Uh, I hadn't watched, I don't think, any real time. And so watching him play, is was like, man, like this, the Texas interior offensive line is not that bad. And he was absolutely killing them. So a uh, hell of a day for him as a redshirt junior. Uh, he's definitely someone that is now firmly on my draft radar. I even like the body type. Like he's kind of lean and athletic. Like I, he, he might end up being one of those like five tech, you know, kind of tweener guys. But my goodness, he was everywhere for the Sooners.
0: I just want to know how many Isaiah Thomases are there in this world. Because I know at least three. And so uh, good for him getting his $100 handshake. I'm going to keep things on the defensive side of the ball because I feel like last week I went offensive heavy. Uh, I'm going to those Georgia Bulldogs and their veteran linebacker, Monty Rice. This guy was all over the field for against Tennessee Eight tackles, two for a loss, had a sack, also recovered a fumble for a touchdown. This defense, I know that you look at the box score and it says 44-21, to and you think, oh my God, the offense was so good for Georgia. The defense kept putting them in great positions, even getting themselves a touchdown. Uh, so my first $100 handshake from this game is going to linebacker Monty Rice. Watch for him. I-, I think that he should be a senior bowl guy. Kind of undersized, but I-, I think that we've proven over the last couple drafts, that doesn't matter anymore. You can be six foot, six foot one, and that is perfectly okay in the NFL.
2: The next one for me, a name you're probably getting sick of hearing me talk about at this point, but Terrace Marshall Jr. from LSU. Now, LSU uh, is not the LSU of last year. They are unfortunately a very unimpressive football team, specifically on the defensive side of the ball, but offensively You know, we spent a lot of time talking about, can this team recover from losing Justin Jefferson, who's a first-round pick? Can they recover after the fact that Jamar Chase opts out? Terrace Marshall Jr. is saying, hey, give me all of these targets. I think he only had about 43 catches last year playing behind those two. Uh, He goes out, I think he went for, you know, 11 catches, well over 200 yards, three touchdowns. I mean, the guy is a touchdown machine. He's already getting near double-digit touchdowns. Uh, he had double-digit touchdowns last year. You're looking for a receiver that did not get, you know, maybe there wasn't enough film out there. Matt, I know you said at LSU they were very excited internally yeah. for this guy. Uh, he's showing up and showing out, and and possibly showing his way into the end of round one with how good he's been this early.
1: Yeah, no, he's been very good. And even when Jamar Chase opted out, I, I hit up one of the coaches. It was like, how how are those receivers? He's like, oh, the, they're good. Like we're gonna be okay. Uh, they're not because they're, they're losing a lot. But, like, Terrace Marshall is definitely doing his part. Ain't the uh, offense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, Speaking of LSU, I got to do it. Mizzou's freshman quarterback, Connor Bazalack, my man went off against LSU. Four touchdowns, 406 yards. He completed 85% of his passes. LSU could not stop him in another loss for the Tigers. Mizzou gets their first win of the year. 45-41, and it's a freshman quarterback getting it done.
0: Yeah, and they had a TCU transfer that I thought was going to play a lot this year, and he, I don't even know if he got any action on the field last. Or sorry, Saturday night. My last $100 handshake, I'm going to stick with the Georgia defense, fellas. They're just too good. And what they did, you know, I believe Connor and I came on Stick to Football last week, and we were talking about, God, this Tennessee offensive line is so good. They might be one of the best offensive lines in the country. Cade Mays, Trey Smith— And then Georgia showed up and was like, we don't give a fuck. We're going (laughs) to run right over you guys, through you, around you. And one of those guys doing it was edge rusher Aziz Ujallari. Uh, He's a redshirt sophomore, number 13, getting it done. Uh, The two sacks that he had against Tennessee. Like I said, I still think this Tennessee offensive line is good. The Georgia defense is just better. And I expected a very close game with Tennessee and Georgia. And it just wasn't. And it was largely because the two linebackers at Georgia, Monty Rice and Ojalari. So watch out for them. As fellas, this weekend they play Alabama. And I am very excited for that game. Already? Already. I would
2: say sneaky. That rose on. Wow. That's that's pretty good action. And I know all of us were saying last week, like, hey, Georgia win, but Tennessee keeps it close. Georgia win, Tennessee keeps it close. Uh, that one got away from them, And how many years are we going to talk about this Georgia front seven? I mean, good <laughs> Lord. It's every single year. They got multiple guys that have NFL futures. So uh, super impressive, especially when you get two guys in that group from the $100 handshakes. My last one here, a game that went a little under the radar, and it was not a good game in the first and fourth quarter. It was only really good in the middle. But UNC and Virginia Tech, I thought Tech... Uh, would upset UNC and, and they certainly did not this turned into kind of a blowout at the end of the game after a great comeback but Sam Howell uh, from UNC is just in control here guys and I think the only thing people had complaints about coming into this game is you know can he push the ball down the field a little bit more and he started to do that this offense uh, was explosive this is a really good football team. This was quietly a pretty interesting prospect game. You have Christian Darrasaw, the offensive lineman for Virginia Tech, mm-hmm. who's playing playing very well, getting some buzz uh, all of a sudden. And of course, you have Chad Sarah. There's just players across the board. But Sam Howell is the guy that you know we talk about him because us three you know are college football fans. But you know obviously if if you're just in on the draft, you haven't heard a lot about him. But he just balls out week in and week out.
1: Yeah. No. He. Uh... Definitely, there's a lot of prospects on that one, but Sam Howell is uh, – that's my guy. Them winning almost made up for the fact that Texas lost. Like, almost. I mean, what a rebuild. Oh Yeah, and I, we're going to talk about that more. Yep. Uh, so let's take a break. When we come back, we'll get to that. It's Tuesday – no, LeBron, it's not taco time. It's top five Tuesday time. Mello, also the Bachelorette, comes back tonight. I know you're excited. I know I'm excited. I just want tacos and watch The Bachelor. That's probably what I'm I'm pretty doing. basic. Give right. me some
0: chips and salsa, some tacos, The Bachelor.
1: I'll A friend set. of mine made me homemade salsa, and I have that. And then I've been hoarding restaurant chips every time I order Mexican <laughs> food. It's so like my setup tonight, because we're recording Monday, tomorrow night is going to be amazing. Okay, let's get into this top five Tuesdays. Number 1, the Falcons job will be the most coveted. I know we talked about this at the top guys, but I cannot see another firing happen that will make the Falcons job the number 2 spot. Like, I mean the Jets are going to make some moves. Sorry, that's not going to be it. Like I don't see any team making that move to where you're like, "Oh, that job's better." Like even if the Vikings fired Mike Zimmer, I might take the Falcons job over the the Vikings job. Like it would be close. Like that's a conversation at least, but that Falcons job, I mean, it's it's better than the Texans job. And I love Deshaun Watson. It's better. You have draft picks. You have players who are good. You have Julio fucking Jones. Like, you have good players. Uh, so I think Falcons job, that's my top takeaway for the week. It is the best job that will be open.
0: Yeah, if I'm like an Eric Biennemi or a Dayball, I might just say, like, hey, let's maybe not play Julio the rest of the year. Like, I'll interview for your head coaching job, but you got to promise me that Julio's going to come back next year, be healthy. Let's just redshirt him this year and uh, don't put him back out there. My first big takeaway, fellas, is that the Big 12 should be forced to dissolve. This is a dumpster fire of a conference Put Oklahoma and Texas in the Pac-12 if you want. Let the Iowa states and the K-states of the world go join the Big Ten. It's just they're not worthy of being in a championship. They're not worthy of being in the college football playoff. And I have a feeling that somehow Oklahoma State or Iowa State is still going to force their way in but after just watching this weekend and seeing what's gone down and looking at the standings and watching all the games that have been played, this is a dumpster fire of a conference and yes, my favorite team plays in it. <laughs>
2: That's great. I mean, it really they really just pick each other apart. They do the the Pac-12 thing now where it's just like what's the point at this point cuz they're all just going to there's going to be upsets. At, they're all going to finish with two losses. It's very frustrating, but uh another dumpster fire the pick for the race for the first overall pick here guys wow is this pathetic I mean usually you have teams that like you look at and you're like okay they'll you know maybe a three-win team will pick number one maybe a two-win team I mean this year you're looking at it these teams are awful like they could all easily go one and fifteen oh and sixteen I just, it's laughable right now. The Jets have a minus 86 point differential in five games. That is over 17 (laughs) points per game that they, like they're not competing. You could make so much money off the Jets every week. The the (laughs) spreads are always like six and a half, seven points. I just, I usually buy it up. Like when the Jets played the Colts, I think I picked the Colts to win by 15 and they won by 29. That's how much money you can make off the Jets right now, but it's not just the Jets. The Washington football team, minus 53. The New York Giants, minus 52. The Falcons, minus 39. Like There are some very, very bad football teams this year, and I don't see how any of them are going to get much better. So the race for the number one pick, in my eyes, I'm sure a lot of people are like, wow, this sucks. This is bad football. In our eyes, we just call this the draft season and are enjoying watching it. It's
1: just starting earlier this year. Yeah, Uh, it's just
2: terrible, right?
1: It's just it's like it's time to talk about the Jets. Time to
0: talk about the Falcons. Time to talk about the Texans. uh, The Giants are awful. I was going to say I would not be surprised if both New York teams, the Jets and the Giants, both went defeated this year. Hey, it's Could
2: just, you imagine 0-32 New York football?
0: I mean it's 0-10. <laughs> While well, the Bills are just up there dominating.
2: <laughs> yep. It's uh, what a weird world.
0: It's like all those fans
1: who talk shit about Josh Allen for years now would like give their left nut to have him, you know? It's like, come on, man. Uh okay, my number two one is, and sorry, I don't need an Ian Rappaport type suspension for saying give a left nut. It's a it's a saying. Oh man. <laughs> I'm not trying to get suspended, okay? Two it's, weeks, it's to, right? For a manscaped commercial,
2: which we've done, didn't I, get. Two, I mean, get, remember get, the Palucci commercials? Exactly, that's right? the one. Like I was double to think. chub and right,
1: yeah. Like good lord, uh, of all the shit the NFL has to worry about, Ian Rappaport doing an Instagram video about shaving his balls is what gets somebody suspended. <laughs> he got suspended longer than Free. Ray Rice did initially. Think about that. Free rap, right? <laughs> Like, Josh Brown locked his wife in a bathroom and abused her, and he got one game. Ian Rappaport gets two for tweeting about shaving his nuts. It's amazing. (laughs) I'm not tweeting that. Just (laughs) Schefter is
2: sleeping so well these next two weeks. He's like, I don't even need to give you the fucking fantasy injury reports at midnight after college football on saturday anymore i'll sleep my ass in till 10 o'clock and tweet them all out because there's no one else out there to compete with me
1: you know what that's my number two takeaway actually i'm not i'm going off script it's just ridiculous <laughs> it's so ridiculous like come on people shape people groom like why they, is this
0: offensive they should be they should yeah if you're not look into it like, like good for you ian Rappaport.
2: right i, well, I don't I understand he said that he didn't get it approved. So does that mean like almost everything that goes through his social media needs to be approved? I, could, yeah, you, I think so. Could you imagine if us three had to do that? I would never be able to tweet. <laughs> no, right. we'd, la- we'd last four hours, <laughs> yeah. at
1: most. I know. So that is weird. I even I was talking to someone. Maybe it was you, Mello. It was like, so do they own his social channels? Like, right. why can no, he not? You can't. Like, why can't you put whatever you want
2: on there? Because they probably create a policy. Good they can't Lord. own and operate your social media channels, but if you sign a contract with them and you have to follow their policy, which must be insane. Insane.
1: Well, something none of us have to worry about. So thank you, Bleacher Report, for that. Uh, This segment may actually get us all in trouble, but I'm okay with it. (laughs) Well, my
0: second big takeaway is that early in this season or coming into the season, a lot of people were excited about Mike Leach joining the SEC, wanting to know what that air raid offense was going to look like. And then he beats LSU in the first game of the season, and everybody's like, oh, my God, Mike Leach is a genius. This is going to be perfect. My big takeaway from this weekend, both those teams are actually just really bad. And one of them beat the other. But, fellas, I don't know if you saw this this weekend. Mississippi State put up two points on a safety against Kentucky. This team found a way to beat LSU, and you can't score at all against Kentucky. I think there was a lot of overrating of guys like KJ Costello of the Mississippi State Bulldogs and even the LSU Tigers, too, because they've lost to Mississippi State and Mizzou already. And I think this is going to be a big learning experience from Coach O in this roster. How many guys are you going to keep around next year? Is Derek Stingley going to come back? He's a true sophomore. I know you don't have to tell me. Is he going to play in his junior year? Because now I think we do have a precedent of guys sitting out and it being okay. You're probably still going to get drafted. But a long road ahead for both of these schools that had high hopes uh, just like three, four weeks ago.
2: Number two here for me, and I, I just I can't get enough of this. Everyone is so mad about the Bears right now. Every time I log on Twitter, somebody's going, the Bears are the first the worst four win football team I've ever seen. The worst four in one team to ever exist. Everybody is so angry that the Bears keep winning. And listen, I might agree with you that I don't think they're necessarily a great football team. But I'm kind of sitting here wondering when are we going to get to the point that the Bears are like 10 and 3 and everybody still thinks that they absolutely right. stink. It doesn't matter how you win and we've seen Nick Foles just pull this bullshit before where if the defense is good enough he makes it, he stinks it up in the first quarter or the second quarter makes key throws in the second half and they keep winning. I mean, I know on this podcast we had some high hopes for the Bucs this year, and the Bears just went out and beat them. So, yep. I don't know. I'm just really enjoying how upset this has made everybody. And a big part of me hopes the Bears just keep uh, winning for reasons we cannot explain. Oh, I love
1: it. Like, I love chaos. And I even tweeted Friday morning. It was like, it's Friday, like October 9th, and I was wrong about the Bears. <laughs> it's okay. It's fun. Like. I like watching them play, and I don't even think they're playing their best ball yet. So to people who are like, oh, worst 4-1 team ever, they're still 4-1. and one. Like, So it doesn't matter how good anyone thinks you are. You're still 4-1. and one. So just keep going. Number three on my list, guys, Kyron Williams is legit. And we have not talked a lot about Notre Dame because they just haven't really played anyone yet. Uh, they, I guess you can call Florida State someone, I don't. <laughs> necessarily subscribe what to that theory you think it is? <laughs> but my god does he continue to go off 185 yards against the seminoles and he's one of my favorite players to watch i love short running backs who are just like little bowling balls and, and that's him uh, he reminds me of cream hunt out there and but like not getting in trouble uh big kyron williams fan i think he's only a sophomore i don't know because notre dame's
2: he th- is bio. he's either a
1: sophomore or a redshirt freshman Okay, so he's not draft eligible yet, so just enjoy him for another year and a half. Uh, because every Saturday, I catch myself watching Notre Dame games because of him, not Ian Book. It's Kyron Williams. Right.
0: Yeah. Yes. Please put the Ian Book bed away. It, it, it's not. It's not good. Uh, my la- my third takeaway uh, is that Dak Prescott. We talked about the injury early on in the show, fellas. I don't know if he should even resign with the Cowboys Uh, after playing this year on a franchise tag. And I know that betting on yourself, it sounds great, but I wonder how this is going to affect uh, the off season. Is he going to say, yeah, I'll play on another franchise tag. I don't think he will not after this injury. And I don't know if he'll even say, yes, I will come back and play for the Cowboys. I think there's at least an out for him to say, you know what? You had your chance to make it right with me. And for me to sign a, a deal here and come back, I wouldn't be surprised if Dak Prescott goes through this process and says, you know what, probably just best for us to part ways. Ownership doesn't value me, didn't want to give me the contract. I'll go get it somewhere else, and we'll start building the team there. And if he does that, Cowboys are screwed. Like, they've got some offensive pieces that are good, but you can't win in this league without a quarterback.
2: I mean, if this guy ever gets to the open market, there will be a team out there that will line up and offer him $50 million a year. I'll say that right now. Could it because be my team? You- <laughs> Oh, I mean, why not, right? You look at it, it he's just a sure thing. And I know the injury now changes that aspect. You're going to worry about that comeback. But uh, as a player at the most important position in sports, uh, I mean, there will be a team. Look at what Kirk Cousins, Kirk Cousins ended up doing on yeah. the open market. With Dak, it would be amplified. So, All right, my third one here, guys. Robbie Anderson is a top 10 wide receiver in the NFL right now. I, I mean, you look at what him and Teddy Bridgewater are doing there. That Carolina team... Uh, Has really, really turned it on. But I think coming into the year, understandably, all the conversation at wide receiver was around DJ Moore as the number one, Christian McCaffrey probably as the number two while also playing running back. I mean, through five games, Robbie Anderson, 36 catches, almost 500 yards and a touchdown already. And I don't believe during his Jets career, he never got to a thousand yards. And through five games, he already has 500. So you look at how good he's been. It's exciting to see what Joe Brady and that Carolina offense is doing and how they're using players with speed because everybody on that offense runs a 4 or 3, and they're just maximizing that. And, and good for Teddy for ending up in a landing spot that is really maximizing what he can do, uh, his accuracy, his pocket presence. They might not be the best team in football, but they are one of the teams I enjoy watching the most with Matt Rule's Panthers this year.
1: They have gone 3-0 and without Christian McCaffrey. Like, a first-time NFL head coach, a first-time NFL offensive coordinator, and they have gone 3-0 and without one of the best players in football. Like, that is crazy to me how well they are playing. And it's like, I, I saw people tweeting on Sunday. It was like, oh, man, look at all these teams that suck that could have had Matt Rule. And, like, it just has to be so bittersweet because, like, This is it works like what he's doing absolutely works. Wearing a smock, apparently, that's the trick. Uh, number four for me, I did want to talk shit about Jimmy Garoppolo, but I'm probably gonna save that. So instead, uh, I'm gonna talk about Mac Brown and how much I miss him. Uh, we were not doing this podcast obviously when Mac Brown was fired from Texas, but I was all about it. I was done, I was ready. It was time to move on. I was like, Mac Brown needs to go. This old man can't coach anymore, all he does is recruit off of rankings. Mac, I'm sorry. I'm so, 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 so sorry. Uh, Please come back. That's where I'm at right now. Come back as AD slash head football coach or CEO of Texas football, whatever it needs to be. Uh, I don't want to say I'm out on Tom Herman, but I'm like real close to being out on Tom Herman. And I just, I miss Mac Brown. And it just goes to show like, no, Texas is not back. Like, please just stop saying that. They They were good for like three years. Let's not say they're back. I think it goes to show how hard a place like Texas is to win at though, because expectations are uncontrollable. Like they're, you're expected to be Alabama when the reality is you're Michigan, you know? And so like Mac Brown though, uh, I didn't appreciate you when I had you and I'm sorry, please
0: come back. I'm just happy for him now. Like North Carolina did the right thing and they, like, hey, we'll take you back. I know a problem. I know that you left here for Texas. So, Matt, maybe he'll leave North Carolina for Texas again. Right, he's getting a little up there, though. But I, I appreciate Matt Brown for everything he did for Texas and what he's doing in North Carolina now. That's a top 10 ranked program. So, good for them, uh, fellas. At Tuesday night or Tuesday morning, as people are listening to this, I want to to put my hat out there and say we need two Monday night football games Uh, we were supposed to this week and they canceled one of them. I was very excited to learn that I was going to be able to go home at four o'clock central on Monday night and start watching football. I think it's something that the NFL should actually toy with. I know week one, uh, I probably was on here saying that I absolutely hated it. But when you're starting one game at four and the other one at seven, that's ideal. You can't start them at like six and nine. That's not working for anybody. But when you do have that four o'clock kickoff, it makes Monday a little bit nice. And the Tuesday night game too, like we can explore with that. Get rid of the Thursday night game. I think everyone hates it. Put some games on Monday, put some on Tuesday, whatever. Get rid of Thursday night, move them up in the week. I think it's a win for everyone. Uh, The players are going to get more rest. You don't have that short week on a Thursday Owners are going to be happy because people are still watching football on Monday night or Tuesday night, whenever you want to have it. But we got to get rid of the Thursday night, make it a two Monday night football games or maybe even a Tuesday night football game.
2: I'm very much here for that. There's just something about it not being five o'clock yet and you have live sports on the TV. And and I do think, you know, Mel, you you start that argument with, hey, this is just for our entertainment, which is very important. But then you finish it with it's better for scheduling purposes for the NFL players. So I hope it's a conversation that comes up because uh, yeah, Thursday night football, I don't know. It just always seems like uh quadruple A football. Like the guys and <laughs> the guys in the minors in baseball that are really good triple A players but can never make it over the hump to the big leagues. It's just it that's what it always feels like. And I don't know. It's just it's just not doing it. All right, number four for me. I'm starting to get a little worried about Joe Burrow, guys. And it's nothing to do with him as a player because he has been quite impressive for what he's got, what he's, what the hand he's been dealt as a rookie. Joe Burrow is going to be a good quarterback in this league for a long time if the Cincinnati Bengals can start protecting him. I, you just can't go out there every single week for this long and take the kind of hits he's taking. And it's not his fault, right? It's not like he's holding on to the ball forever and just getting kill shots. They cannot pass protect. For this guy. And I think what you're seeing in Miami, while, and Miami had a really good weekend, but before this, fans were not happy down there. They wanted it to be two a time. I think it's calculated in Miami. I really do. I think the reason Fitz has been out there so long is, you know, and Fitz will have his weeks of Hall of Fame play and his weeks of I should not be in the NFL play. And then you get everything in between somewhere. It's just the Fitz roller coaster. But I think they knew their offensive line was in a transition year, and they don't want to rush Tua out there. While the Bengals aren't afforded that luxury, I don't know if it's something they can do with their personnel. Uh, Maybe you have to go, you know, unfortunately, with some 12 personnel and keep some tight ends in to block even more. I don't know what the answer is because the line is just so poor on paper, but Joe Burrow cannot take the shots that he is taking. In a season where, let's be real, the Bengals are not even close to contending in that great division.
1: No, and like they need Penny Sewell. Like, they, it, like that's all I can think about when I watch the Bengals play. It's it's perfect. Like, for gosh, that. you guys Kate need Jonah this.
0: Williams inside where he probably should have played. Probably so. Yeah. And, and solidify
1: <laughs> that offensive line. Uh, my last thing uh, that I want to talk about today. Uh, Kevin Stefanski is the coach of the year. The Browns are 4-1. That offense is playing very very well lately. They beat the Colts on Sunday. They beat the Cowboys the week before that. Now they do play the Steelers this weekend. So that my argument could fall apart like almost immediately. But I think Kevin Stefanski right now having the Browns at 4 and 1, the last time they were 4 and 1, Bill Belichick was the head coach and Nick Saban was the defensive coordinator, which mind you they had those guys and fired them. So, uh, the the fact that the Browns are 4 and 1 there are a lot of stories in the NFL right now, and it feels like daily we're talking about COVID and schedule changes. The Browns being 4-1. They have the same record as the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, depending on what happens with the Steelers, they could be, or next week, excuse me, the, the Browns could be number one in the AFC North. Like This is a very, very good team, and we're finally seeing the talent come together where Baker doesn't have to win games. They're running the ball, they're playing good defense, and they're utilizing all those weapons that they had, had
0: stockpiled. Yeah, Stefanski's done one hell of a job, and I previewed it a little bit too soon, but uh, I'm very excited for that Steelers-Browns game to kind of figure out who these teams are. Steelers are sitting there. They look very good. They've beat up on some lesser opponents, I think, uh, but even the Browns came out, lost week one against the Ravens, and it looked bad, and it has looked very good. Ever since. So hats off to Kevin Stefanski. I do think that he's been an excellent hire and probably, you know, a couple weeks through the season. Yeah, I, I think that it's safe to say that he's probably the coach of the year so far. My last takeaway, I'll keep it in the NFL. Guys, I hate how much I love the Raiders. Like I love their <laughs> uniforms. I'm kind of coming uh, even around on John Gruden, who I've been a little bit hard on. I'm okay with like Derek Carr, but I love Josh Jacobs. Uh Alec Ingold, the fullback. He's on the field all the time, and I love watching him play. Our guy Foster Moreau, Darren Waller. There are so many good pieces to this team that even watching them beat the Chiefs on Sunday wasn't that upsetting to me. I don't know what that says about me as a fan, but this is a really good team that I think is headed in the right direction. Obviously, getting a win in Arrowhead uh, is not something that you love to see if you're a Chiefs fan, but these guys are hard to root against. Henry Ruggs, Brian Edwards, a lot of great pieces there. So, for me, my last takeaway, like I said, I hate how much I love the Raiders.
2: Henry Ruggs, uh, They're fun. Yeah, cool. fun to watch. I know. They're fun to watch. They're a lot better than I thought they would be. I'll go out and say it right now. They could not win a game the rest of the year. Uh, that, that win against the Chiefs was something that I did not see coming. And the Raiders – you know, our good model for a lot of teams is that when you build up your offensive line like they have, they're going to have their questions on defense the rest of the year because they're young and that's going to naturally happen. But offensively, I mean, one of the best young running backs in football, one of the best offensive lines in football, one of the deepest wide receiver groups, I think, or I know they've been banged up, um, but I would count Waller in that wide receiver group. He's that kind of target. So hats off to the Raiders. I mean, hell of a win and and hell of a start uh, for them so far. My last one here, I'm going back to college football, more for the draft. I think it's time to talk about it, guys. You know, we don't do this often. Travis Etienne is probably a round one worthy running back. And, And I know that's dangerous to say. A lot of teams cannot afford to draft a running back in round one. I fully agree. A lot of teams cannot pull a, a New York Giants and, and take a guy at two during a rebuild and say, Hey, this guy's going to fix all of our problems. That, that doesn't work. But if you're a team similar to the Chiefs, where you have a lot of pieces in place, but you need someone in the backfield that can be a receiver that is really good yards after contact that has breakaway speed. I look at Travis Etienne and say somebody at the back end, look at like a Seattle while well, they have their pick to the Jets, but that's a good example of a team. That can look at Etienne and go, man, this guy's a game changer. I mean, he's got 4 3 speed. He's phenomenal after contact. He's gotten so much better catching the ball. He runs hard, great acceleration. I know Najee Harris is right at the top of this running back class as well with him. But man, when I look at Travis Etienne, I just think he's going to be such a difference maker at the next level on a good team or even a decent team that it wouldn't shock me when we get to picks 25 to 32 somebody starts to think about it
1: yeah man he is explosive like uh it maybe this is unfair i get big jamal charles vibes watching travis Etienne, and if he can get in the right system where he can just go run it's gonna be beautiful all right let's take a break and then we'll get some draft on draft Uh, we got a couple draft on draft questions for you guys to close out the show today let's start here uh Connor, this question's for us, buddy. Matt Columbia asked, what would a Sam Darnold to 49ers trade look like? I think it's almost impossible. Jimmy Garoppolo is, I believe he's now the 10th highest paid quarterback after some of the new deals that got done this offseason. Uh, and there's an out, I think, after next year. It's not not this coming year, it's next year. So Darnold, while inexpensive, you have to start thinking about that fifth year option. So what what does Sam Darnold command in a trade? I don't think it'll be a first-round pick. I think you probably start the conversation with a two. Or if that team is selecting early, it's probably an, a three. But I just can't I can't see John Lynch sending a first-round pick for Sam Darnold and basically admitting what we all know by now, and that's that Jimmy Garoppolo has some issues that have to be covered up. I mean,
2: I, without a doubt, number one, right? It's hard to execute because... The money they gave Jimmy and the structure of Sam kind of sets you up where, you know, this is something that loses Sam's value, right? Is that Sam is not going to be on this rookie structure for much longer while, you know, obviously not being a sure thing. He's had his own struggles with or without Adam Gase. Uh, Sam is, you know, still making rookie mistakes. And I think when you look at it, the fit is perfect, right? Like when you look at what Kyle likes to do with Nick Mullins when Nick Mullins has to play a lot of cutting the fields in half, a, a lot of, I don't want to say simple reads, but easier things that get him on the move. You know, Sam can do that. Sam is like the the buffed up version of that, where you can really use his athleticism and ability to throw on the run to make things happen, where I think Sam would be very good with Shanahan. But I'm with you, Matt. I, I, it's not a first round pick. Uh, a lot of people won't like to hear this, but I think, you know, we're going to see how he finishes the season when he comes back from the shoulder injury. You're probably looking at a second round pick you know, straight up a second round pick or maybe a three and a five if, like you said, the three is early. I don't think the trade value for Darnold is going to be overwhelmingly good. You have to wonder what the market will be, right? Will the Steelers get involved? Will the Niners get involved? Will the Saints get involved? Will multiple teams get involved that you sit there and go, okay, we're not doing this for less than a two? Then you have a chance. But if everybody knows the Jets are taking a quarterback and they're moving Sam no matter what, you might have teams get a little stingy and try to go, hey, a three and a five, um, you know, two fours, something weird like that.
0: And I think that's probably what we'll see. I think obviously the Jets are in prime position to be drafting number one and probably getting a guy like Trevor Lawrence at quarterback. And when that happens, I do think a lot of teams are going to come at the Jets and say, hey, we'll give you a three for Sam Darnold. But kind kind of like you were saying, There are a lot of teams that could be in the market, the Bears, the Saints, the Niners, the Steelers. And I think that's what's going to help drive up the cost for the Jets is that they can say, hey, we got a three on the table. You got to beat it with a two. And so maybe you get, like you were saying, a three and a five. Or maybe you can get somebody to come up and give you a two. I don't know if it's going to be the 49ers. I know that that would be a good fit. But Matt, like you were saying, there's still a lot of money tied up at that one position. I think you almost have to find a way to get rid of Jimmy Garoppolo's contract. And, and you know, honestly, uh, Matt, as your brother, I think a lot of 49er fans probably owe you an apology for the season saying <laughs> this right. dude was going to be shit and them coming at you. I didn't see anybody do it on Sunday, though. So uh, it's going to be tough to get rid of that contract. And I don't know uh, what their plan is for next week. And they're going to start uh Mullins they're gonna start Beathard is it Garoppolo Uh, I don't know what's going on there in San Francisco but I do think that the the market for Sam Darnold is going to heat up to where you can probably get a two for that guy
1: no apologies were sent I can tell you that no not one so uh Matt
2: here's a question for you (laughs) if say they're just done with Jimmy for the year right would you trade a two and a five right now for Sam
1: oh I would Yeah, I would. Uh, I'm also like get the early look at him. Yeah, I'm with you. I love what he would be in this offense because like the things that Sam's not great at, right? Like, eh, we're not pushing the ball. He's not a Bruce Arians quarterback, right? But, but he is good at timing. He's good at rhythm, and you can move the pocket with him. Like, I just think there's so many things that you could do that would work uh, with Sam, Uh, and like there's other players. It's not just Sam Darnold. Like there are other quarterbacks where it's like, oh man would love to have that right now but uh yep yeah. so it's one of those things like where you don't like to be right about it but you like to be right about it you know so uh let's move on Michael McDonald which LSU with excuse me with LSU DB's notoriously having a great second year playing and a letdown third year would have been better for Stingley Jr to sit out this year so his second year uh, of playing was his third year. Vet. This Micah, this is deep, this is buddy. Big brain. Good lord. <laughs> so I think that's more like we're thinking about Grant Delpit and not necessarily like I don't think that it was that way for Jamal Adams. I don't think it not was that all. way for Christian Fulton, Patrick
2: Peterson. Yeah,
1: like I think that's a Grant Delpit thing.
2: Mo Claiborne.
1: Now with Stingley, like he's great, right? We all love the potential there. He still has to play. Like, he's not a sure-fire top five pick in 2022. Right now, like he still has to play. And I, I, so should he have sat out this year? I don't know,
0: man. I mean, it's tough. He's a corner, you know, like you need to play. And he's a sophomore too. And I think that that's where it's hard for him because he was an All-American as a freshman. Looked like one of the best corners in the league, or sorry, in the nation as a freshman. Uh, And, you know, so far this year, I know that he missed a game uh, or two was a little bit sick. I haven't loved the effort so far, and I don't know what he had going on. So hopefully we can see him kind of rebound this year because he hasn't been off to a great start so far this season. As far as like sitting out goes, you couldn't do it this year. Even if you opt out and you come back next year, what's that do for you? I, I don't know that that's much. And you can't sit out for two straight years. But I'm telling you, I would not be surprised if we see this guy opt out. If he's the first of his kind uh, to opt out of a junior year and say, hey, there's no, hopefully, (laughs) there's no COVID or anything like that. I'm just sitting out so I don't get hurt. I would not be surprised at all if we see that happening. I I think the wheels might fall off that LSU wagon pretty soon uh, if they don't find a way to recover, starting with two losses so far this season. It's something to definitely keep an eye on, though, with Derek Stingley. I think if anybody is going to do it, it could be him.
2: Yeah, I think so too. And I think it would cost them a lot of money. I think really the only guy, you know, in a normal year, not a COVID year, like this is not a not like Micah Parsons is going to be fine. Caleb Farley, like that's totally different in a normal year. The only guy I could really think of recently that would be able to do that is like a Trevor Lawrence, right? Like scouts yep. knew what he was after two years after one year scouts were looking at him and like, all right, he's probably gonna be the number one pick in his class. And then after last year, like a little bit of a slow start, but with the way he finished, it's like, all right, he's exactly who we thought he was this year. He's like full robot mode where he doesn't miss anything. And now he's playing with like a little edge, a little attitude for the first time. He's like talking shit. It's like this guy is literally a dream quarterback, but it's tough, right? Like you, like you said, you got to play football at some point. And I don't think Stingley has been good enough where he's afforded the luxury of not playing next year. I, I think. He had a really good freshman year. Sure, he got beat by some some top guys, you know, Alabama or Van Jefferson, but overall, incredible freshman year. This year, I mean, it's a lot of football left to be played, but if if this is the trajectory that him and that LSU defense, more importantly, are on, you got to go out and ball out next year. There's just, there's just no other way to do it. Last question from our
1: guy, Richie Bradshaw. Whose growth from college to the NFL has been more dramatic in a good way, Patrick Mahomes or Lamar Jackson? So, I'm like keying on the word growth, and I think it's Lamar Jackson. Patrick Mahomes is better, a lot better, but I think Lamar Jackson's growth as a passer has been bigger. With Mahomes, we're seeing a lot of the same things in the NFL that we did in college, but I mean, this is like, this is close because I think with Patrick, what we're seeing is like the game is just so slow for him and his field vision. He has the craziest field vision I've ever seen for a quarterback where. Uh, Melo, you tweeted out a video. It's like, people are saying this is one of the greatest throws ever, but he does this so often that you're just accustomed to it. So maybe we're forgetting some of the splendor there. But I think with Lamar Jackson, there's still there's still room for growth there as a passer. But I'm excited by what he has been. I mean, I had him low in that quarterback class. He was QB5 for me. And because it was, man, there are times where he has to throw outside the hashes in college, and it just was not there. Like it, He wasn't accurate. And I, I think we saw, especially last year, being able to get the ball down, being able to hit people in stride. He also has very good field vision. I think Jackson's growth has
0: been—it's been something that like he should be very, very proud of. See, I'm going to go opposite direction. I think that Patrick Mahomes' growth has been exceptional. I think that he came in as a very raw prospect. I think it was even last year, maybe even with Leftco, that he was saying like. I don't know. I didn't know how to read defenses like his first year starting throwing for 5,000 yards and he has no idea what the defense is doing. So I think that we've really only scratched the surface with Patrick Mahomes. And I think that there are still some very bright days ahead of him, obviously, but his growth, like I said, physically, like, I don't know that it's changed that much. I know he works his ass off, but I think the mental growth that you don't really see that you can't put a number to it's not like a bench press where he goes from benching and 225 10 times to 20 times but the mental growth and to learn the game with guys like Bienemy and Eric and Andy Reid in his ear I, I think we've seen a lot of growth there and with Lamar Jackson like not to talk shit on the guy but I still think he's trying to win the games with his athletic ability and that's good it works in the NFL for a little bit but I even think we're seeing this year gonna have to start doing it where he is reading defenses a little better he's doing it uh with his mind and he's still able to run and create plays but the product has not been as good this year as it was last year that's for sure
2: it's a tough one right like for me I was much higher on Lamar Jackson in that class than I was uh on Mahomes in his class and Mahomes for me like I, I just flat out missed on him but besides that like, the arm talent is the same, right? He's the guy that can make any throw in college that was jaw-dropping. I, I just—I think maybe some of it is how well uh, he's taken to learning under Andy Reid and how hard he works in general and all of those things where, yeah, like you said, the mental side of the game for Mahomes and the ability of how fast he processes things combined with his talent— It has come such a long way because they're both like backyard quarterbacks in college and what they could do with their legs, how they both throw the ball down the field, how they scramble to extend and keep their eyes down the field. But now Mahomes is just in complete control. And I think on the Lamar side, the growth aspect is what you said, Matt just the accuracy issues on the intermediate part of the field. Sure, it's not perfect right now, but it's gotten so much better at the pro level. In college, the guy was always phenomenal at throwing the ball down the field effortlessly. But now in the NFL level, you're seeing the intermediate stuff really grow. So I think it's a little bit of a different answer for each of them. And it would be interesting if you threw Josh Allen into this equation. Yeah, uh, that's the answer for me. (laughs) He's completely reinvented himself. The guy at Wyoming... Uh, really had no understanding of the game from a mental aspect and consistently tried to do too much to elevate that Wyoming program. And now in Buffalo, everything's slowed down for him where the accuracy is great. Um, You know, he's not he's doing less of the, the chaotic stuff. And I think it's just it's exciting to see all three of these guys really take off. And I think it speaks to uh, all of their coaches and their work ethic combines because the raw talent for all three of them has always been top-notch. Yeah,
1: it's it's fun. There's so many good young quarterbacks in it's, the NFL right now.
0: It's crazy with the three guys that you mentioned, even though, Connor, because like Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, they were all three big project guys. Like, oh, these are really good yeah, athletes. They have plenty of doubters. Yeah, with arm talent, I was low on all three of them. But they were huge project guys, and I think, respectively, they're each the best uh, out of those classes. And flip side, Darnold and Rosen... And those were like,
1: no, nah, they, they're, they're NFL ready. Yeah, Daniel sure Jones, sure NFL things. ready, not a project, you know? Absolutely. And, and it's like, the projects are pretty fucking good. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it worked. Yeah. Sorry, Bears fans. Yeah. Right. Now let's all get <laughs> And <crazy>. we're going <laughs> to
2: find that with, with, ju- you know, Justin Herbert and Drew Locke yes. are, are the next examples, right? And, you know, Lock taken in the second round. So a little bit more extreme, but we're going to see it with Herbert and you know, and Daniel Jones will be interesting too, because uh, yeah, I was more vocal than anyone. I thought he was extremely overdrafted, and I know you guys felt the same way. And it's not gone well. Uh, there's still time, but it's there's so many, you know, there's so much contrast. There's so many different examples of it working, but there's a lot of examples of it failing too. Yep. So
1: yeah, yeah, hell yeah. Uh, but it is. It's going to be fun to watch and see where these guys go. Uh, that's our show. We'll be back Friday morning with more of your favorite football stuff. So from Melo for Connor's map. We'll talk to you guys real soon.